How's it going, everybody? Today, I am here with an amazing friend of mine, a mentor of mine, and a former manager of mine, uh, Marissa Brassfield. Marissa, I am so happy to have you on the podcast today. And I'm so excited to learn about being ridiculously efficient, being a great person. How do you craft amazing relationships? How do you write engaging, hyper-engaging content? How do you invite hyper-engaging copy? And then also you've, you're a new mother. I mean, you're, 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 by the time this is published, you'll have had birth already. You're, you're, you're 36 weeks pregnant right now. Is that, is that correct? 36 yes. weeks. Oh I my think. God. Um, it's craziness. <laughs> when you say it, it sounds wild. <laughs> it's craziness. Uh, and so Marissa's 36 weeks pregnant and she's putting on a conference around the future of education. Uh, and from an outsider's perspective, it seems like Marissa is definitely doing her homework on what it means to be a new mother heading into 2020. We're literally at the start of a decade. And Marissa is at the cutting edge of what's happening and how we're raising our kids and how the next generation will be brought up. So Marissa, I'm really, really excited to dive in with you today. Uh, Before I do, I'd love to ask you, who is Marissa Brassfield in 2020? How do you view yourself? How do you position yourself when you're thinking about where am I going? How am I driving my future forward? Yeah. Well, hey, Max. And hello, everyone. I'm so excited to be here uh, and talk about everything that you just mentioned, because uh, this is a time of profound reinvention. Even um, before all of this coronavirus madness started, um, I started a bit of a reinvention journey in 2019. So um, I guess to anchor where I am and who I am in 2020, we've got to step back a little bit. So when you and I met, uh, I was working with Peter Diamandis and spent um, a little over seven years orbiting around him and building a lot of his online content strategy and a high-level mastermind group called Abundance 360 where we brought together entrepreneurs and business owners and investors from all over the world, just epic people running, you know, million to billion plus dollar businesses. And each year we would teach them about the implications of exponential technology on business and life. And that was wonderful. It was honestly a masterclass in the future. And one of the things uh, that entrepreneurs would always ask me is, okay, this is awesome. I understand the implications for business, but what do I do uh, at home? How do I prepare my kids for this? You know, what do my kids need to know? And a lot of their questions were around how to prepare their children for the future. And I never really had a good answer for them because uh, singular Singularity University programs are geared to grad level and there wasn't really anything out there for school-aged students, especially primary school. There was a second intersection, um, which was uh, parents would ask and entrepreneurs would ask me, you know, when are you guys going to talk about mindfulness and nature and how we can be stewards of the planet, you know, of Earth as we go and explore off-world and uh, go into other areas? And Max, you and I have had many hikes together, and so we we share a love of nature and being outside, and we get... Um, so many great ideas together when we're outside and talking. And so I value that aspect of, um, uh, of life and education as well. And I was re- never really able to answer that uh, with enough fidelity in our um, Abundance 360 context. So with these two ideas percolating in the back of my head, I separated ways with Peter Diamandis, took two and a half months off of work entirely, basically renegotiated every single 
my future, with um, my work, with time, with my husband, Mike. You know, we've been together since 2008. And so what does our future look like? What's possible for us? Um, I become pregnant and immediately I'm like, I feel this new responsibility to answer those two unsolved questions. Like, what about the future of education? And what's the future of leadership look like? And so as my pregnancy has gone on, I've interviewed and gotten pretty obsessed with that topic. And we'll, we'll talk about that as we go on here. But um, to fast forward to 2020, uh, 2020 is where I step out of the shadow of the amazing mentors and uh, thought leaders that I have orbited around and been influenced by um, and whose work has shaped so much of my perspectives. It's where I kind of step into my own power, my own voice, and um, I become a mother. And importantly, I become and really own um, a space where curating the best, most cutting edge wisdom around the world that tackles the intersection of technology, leadership, mindfulness, nature, um, and honestly, consciousness because the world that I believe we're living into is one where um, you really have to be a whole person. It's not just about what you know. It's not just about what you can achieve or do. It's who you are. And uh, I've got a couple of really sizzling examples of how this has um, been proven out, even just creating this virtual retreat, which we're launching, um, you know, April 13th through 17th. It'll be over and done with by the time this is up. But uh, simply the act of putting it together has been such um, a an exercise in how everything I've learned over the last 10 years about influence, persuasion, uh, reaching high-level people, uh, writing persuasive copy, um, it's, all, it's all crystallized in this. That's amazing, Marissa. Could you drill deeper into two concepts? So you keep mentioning reinvention and, and, and renegotiation, and they're different, but they definitely tie together. Could you define each of those for you and dive into kind of what those mean and, and how that's manifested itself in your life? Yeah. So reinvention. Um, we are in a time of accelerating change and constant change. And so often we outgrow who we are. We outgrow um, what we do, who we do it for, why we do it. And this can be a professional, but you can also outgrow relationships. You can outgrow uh, belief systems. Um, you can, as you advance and expand your capabilities and you grow and you kind of do the personal work and, and expand your knowledge, um, you may want to shed some of the beliefs of your past. Um, certainly, in my experience, sometimes this has been um, belief systems of my parents or my family and just differentiating myself as an, as an adult. Um, in other cases, it's um, what I believe is right and true in terms of how to lead, how to do business, um, how business and organizations and teams can feel. Um, and then so pieces like that and being uh, unafraid to kind of courageously step out and forge a new path. Um, 
and, you know, extending our trail metaphor, it's like going off the beaten path and, and exploring a new way that is uniquely yours. And it takes a bit of courage. And uh, certainly it's, it, the path is not guaranteed to succeed. And there's uh, all sorts of um, dangers and perils along the way. But um, there's a bit of, you know, Joseph Campbell in, in my language as well, because that's something I've been uh, thinking a lot about uh, when it comes to reinvention, especially. But then, so as part of that, um, you know, you reinvent, you design the next best amazing version of yourself. Who are you going to grow into? Uh, what does that person, how do they operate? How do they, how do they live their life? And based on that, you often have to renegotiate a lot of um, the sort of ties that may hold you down to the old ways of being. Uh, so certainly friendships, relationships, uh, because people who've known you for many years, they've seen you through different incarnations and they can kind of um, anger you in a way um, or ground you. Uh, and that can be positive or negative depending on the context. So when it comes to me and my future, um, gosh, you know this, Max, uh, I never thought I would be a parent. I never thought that motherhood was in my future. It was just not in my like personal life thing. You know, Mike and I had never really talked about it. And here I am. And not only am I about to be a mother, I'm super excited about it. And I've used it as uh, the, this experience of, of pregnancy and like my own mindset shift to launch a new entrepreneurial venture. So it's, it's um, completely changed how I think and what I think is possible for my future, for myself, and then as a result, all the little micro decisions and behaviors that happen um, over the course of days and weeks. Very interesting. One one of the things that I love about doing these interviews is it's, it's, it's not the specific resources that you're trying to tease out that always end up being the, the greatest gems. It's the it's the specific language that the person that I'm talking to uses and, and reinvention and, and renegotiation are two things that, that young people who haven't lived, uh, you know, really at all. And when I say young, I'm talking about college kids, uh, 18 to 20, 23, 24 year olds. We haven't had any experience where we can say, oh yeah, reinvention is an option. It's kind of, hey, we have to, we have to drive, we have to go down this specific road that we've thought that we were going to go down since we're you know, not even that long ago, but that we're just so set on going down. We never thought that reinvention is an option. And then the renegotiation piece, what I love about what you're doing and what you've done is you've really displayed that, you know, you do have power in every single one of your relationships to create the future that you want for yourself rather than reacting to the, the world that you've entered or that you've, or that the previous version of yourself has, has brought you to where you are now. And I think that's really, really fascinating. Um, and with that, you know, I, I think back to my time and, you know, so I grew up in Los Angeles and I went to the University of Pennsylvania. So just uprooting from Los Angeles to Philly, um, that was a sort of reinvention opportunity because I could choose what to share about, you know, who I was, upbringing, whatever. And you can kind of retell your story in a way that you're a hero. Um, and then I went to Penn to play softball and I played softball for a couple of years and then with injuries and grades and it's just like a, a big mess of things, I ended up not playing anymore. And so I had to kind of redefine my identity again because so, you know, the whole 18 years prior, I was a jock. I was a student athlete. There was this whole identity around, um, that. And so when I didn't have softball, it was like, okay, well, who, who am I and what am I interested in? And, um, wh where do I want to grow into next? So I guess, you know, I, I would say if you haven't had that reinvention experience before, chances are you've had 
go through something where you've you've had to put yourself in a completely new context and you can choose to reinterpret your past. Uh, something that Dan Sullivan said um, last month at uh, when I saw him at an event is, you know, a good defense lawyer can re, uh, redesign someone's past in, uh, in the scope of 15 minutes just by reinterpreting details differently and telling a different story. So if a defense lawyer can do it, um, so can we for ourselves. Dan Sullivan co-founded um, strategic coach with his wife and partner, Bab Smith. It is a, um, a coaching platform and group and, uh, we'll call it a mastermind, but it, you know, um, all about helping entrepreneurs create self-managed companies. And what that means is setting up the systems processes and, um, protocols so that business owners can work on the high-end vision of their business, and then they've organized a team around them to take care of all the details. And it's all about uh, what they call unique ability teamwork, which is every single person on a team is operating um, and their role is is optimized around what they do best, what they always um, love doing, their best skills, the things that give them energy. And so I've gained tremendous insights on entrepreneurship from that level and, and certainly operating teams. Because uh, ideally you want a team where everyone is uh, in their lane, but it's like, I think of um, the Justice League and the Justice League has individual superheroes, each with their own superpowers. And there are situations where you need Batman and there's situations where you need uh, Wonder Woman and the Hulk. And, you know, not every situation is perfect for every uh, superhero. Perfect. So that's one of the resources that I've seen you personally leverage a lot of. And while we're, while we're down this rabbit hole, and then I'd love to loop back around to some of your, your bio and your history. While we're down this rabbit hole, could you maybe just throw out two or three of the tools that you love from Strategic Coach? Because I know that, that they're favorites of yours and have become favorites yeah. of mine. Yeah. So there's the entrepreneurial time system is um, more of a thinking framework than a specific tool. So there's three types of days uh, when it comes to strategic coach. There is a free day, which is a day where you are not even picking up your phone. You're not answering email. You're not doing anything related to work. Free days. Then there's focus days, total opposite. You are completely locked in on the uh, important tasks, you know, or the, the things, the results that you were intending to create that day. And then there's a buffer day where you are um, kind of doing some of the cleanup work. Maybe you're cleaning out your inbox, you're taking calls with other people, but it's, uh, it's a mix of all the other kind of work-related things that you know you have to do, but they don't necessarily make it onto a focus day. So actually quantify within the company and they challenge their clients to do the same how many free focus and buffer days they're taking. And so Dan and Babs, the co-founders of the company, they take, I want to say, oh gosh, it's like over 130 free days per year. And so imagine as a business owner where you are, you've got 365 days and we all know entrepreneurs who are working every single one of those 365 days, especially when you use the strategic coach terminology of like, if you have checked a single email or responded to a single work text, that's not a free day anymore, you know? And to have over 130 of them, like that's exceptional. It takes a lot of, you know, communication and, and teamwork. So that's one. And then 
The second is, uh, it's, the, it's called the experience transformer. And basically, it is a way to reframe every project, uh, launch, experience, and you basically think through, uh, so take an example of a recent project you've worked on, or maybe it's a, a, a launch or something that you've done in a group, and you go, okay, what went right? Um, what didn't go so well? And if you could repeat this experience, knowing what you know now, what are the steps you would take to produce a successful result? Because so often we go through something and sure, there's, you know, like we've worked multiple abundance 360s together. And so it's easy to come up with all the things that went right. Um, but we often don't think about the other two things, like what didn't go right. Um, and then if we, if we did this again, what would we do differently to produce a successful result? And it's that third question that, creates the really good systems. That's where you, uh, because with the wisdom of hindsight and the experience fresh in your mind, you can go, oh gosh, I would have done this completely differently. I would have done this first, this first, this first. And then you go back um, when you're preparing to do that thing again and you review those action steps and you use that to start uh, the, the planning process next time. Now you've already improved on it and then probably since then, you have even new ideas to improve a process. So, you know, when you can go through something and it doesn't feel like you're just like reinventing the wheel, which is a big temptation in, um, or a default in entrepreneurial uh, teams, especially just to reinvent the wheel every single time. When you can go in there with some wisdom and some um, experience and some documentation, importantly, on the process, you can just go so much faster from the start. And you use both of those extensively. I mean, that's that's how you run A360 and, and other projects that we've worked on together, which which has taught me so much. One of the ones that I love that I thought you were going to mention, but I guess that might have been number three is the impact filter. Um, oh yeah, I use yeah. that. I use that all the time. Um, can you maybe talk about tell the well, audience what the impact I, filter is? Yeah, so it's basically like how like how to interpret and literally filter an idea for importance. And so you, you outline, you know, what's the ideal outcome? Um, what is the purpose of this project or initiative? Uh, what's the best result? If everything goes right, you know, what happens? Um, if we don't execute, um, don't do anything or if we don't produce a successful result. And then you, there's a spot for eight success criteria. What has to happen for this project to be a success. And you can use this to define um, job descriptions or new initiatives, um, you know, events, projects, like literally everything. And so Dan uh, from Strategic Coach, you to, to get a meeting with him, he will only consider it if there is an impact filter for that meeting because he needs to be able to decide whether it's worth his time. And by using that specific lens to filter, you know, and, and understand the impact and implications of any single thing you commit your time to, you're automatically going to make better. Chances are good. You don't need to involve anyone else in that project or initiative. So a uh, couple thoughts there, um, but I, I love the impact filter. And I didn't mention it because it's an obvious one. It's such a classic uh, that I was like, oh no, it's too obvious. I'll pick a different one that I also love. But there are so many unique thinking tools and processes that Strategic Coach has developed for its clients. And um, they have a big library and I am uh, quite experienced at going through and, uh, and picking the right tool for the job. So, Yeah, it's, it's really interesting how... 
young entrepreneurs in particular don't necessarily recognize the value of bringing in the outside resource of a coach or a, or a mastermind type setting or, or paying to actually go to a conference or an event. Um, if maybe you could riff on that for a minute, that, that idea of investing in yourself and investing in these, these coaching uh, and developmental resources. Yeah. I mean, one, I'll tell a story. Um, uh, when we lived in San Diego, there was um, this aging rocker who had opened up for many recognizable kind of rock bands in the 90s. And he got cleaned out in a divorce. All he had, basically, she took like 20 million bucks to hear him tell it. Uh, and he had his vintage Porsche convertible. And that was basically all he had. And he's living in this apartment. And he was going back to school for graduates for graduate education in, um, in geology or something. And so we asked him about it. And um, we're like, why did you do that? And he, and he goes, you know, I've, I've made my millions. Like, I can make it back again. She can't take my knowledge. She can't take you know, she can take my money, but she can't take my knowledge. And so that was, you know, that's something that's always stuck with me. And I found that entrepreneurs, especially, and people who think entrepreneurially, you don't have to, you know, own a business to, to think like an entrepreneur. Um, but people who invest in themselves, um, always end up in a different place than people who are waiting for someone else to give, to give them answers. Um, because when you're in that process of self-discovery, um, there's a bit of competition with your own potential. You're, you're discovering new things and well, what else is possible? What else, what else, what else? And simply that curiosity, that growth mindset versus a fixed mindset, um, opportunities seem to find us <laughs> from all corners and you know thing we make new connections things come together differently and i think by developing that attitude and that practice and really a habit of learning and constantly being able to kind of dial down your ego and be willing to learn something new and admit that you're not the expert and maybe that will never be uh, that's when we can have so much uh, just richer educational experiences, one, but life experiences too, because there's, um, there's so much around us every single day, opportunities to learn, people to learn from, sources to learn uh, that's free, cheap, and readily available. The missing piece is how curious we are to discover those and how committed we are to actually, you know, blocking time to make that real. I mean, one of the the ways that we met was I was, I think I've told you the story, but I, I was trying to win this internship with with you and Peter and the team. And uh, one of the ways that I went approached doing it was I, I went to a mastermind and I saw who I could meet at the mastermind. You might know, know people in your ecosystem. And it turned out that I got a fairly warm introduction and it was a beautiful thing. And I'm really happy because then I got to beat you, Marissa. And life has been life has been well, I changed ever since. Oh, well, I remember when that text came in with that video, and I was like, "He's a yes." Like I, I was like, I, I didn't I, at that time. I hadn't seen anything that you'd submitted, and I was like, "He's a yes." <laughs> and the reason was because anyone who is and think ahead about like, okay, how am I going to stand out? Uh, what can I do? in my immediate environment to build credibility, 
build rapport, make a memorable connection, um, and do it in the right modality. It was a text message and do it in the right modality. It was a video, um, to communicate my message and communicate and articulate who I am. You were so articulate in that video. I remember it was short. It was, um, very impassioned. Like that is the recipe to get things done is right message, right timing, right modality, and uh, with the right tone. I do also remember there being a, a poop emoji talking video head thrown in shortly after the uh, the video that, that I was in. Like I say, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> like I say, right modality, uh, you know, and, and the right tone. That was perfect. It was, it was cool. pitch perfect. Cool. So now, now let's dive into tone and communication style a little bit, because that's one of the areas that I, I have the utmost respect for you in. Um, there's, there's a lot, don't worry. Um, but that's one that I've personally grown enormously from working with you is my communication style, my ability to write, my ability to speak, my ability to not just write, but edit and, and transform content and using the word transform, not just edit or make better, but really take something that's bare and turn it into a beautiful masterpiece. Um, and so I thank you for that. And I'd love to go back and maybe go back to say growing up and kind of take your bio from the frame of how did Marissa become such an incredible communicator uh, and, and, and creator. And so could you tell us a little bit about where you grew up? I, I know that right now you're, you're actually living in the house where you grew up. Um, yeah. could, you, could you go back and tell us a little bit about location, what your life was like, et cetera? Oh yeah. Oh, I love this. So, um, I am, I am living in my childhood house. Um, I, so my parents bought this place in the seventies. I was, came along in the eighties and, um, only child. Uh, we didn't have a heck of a lot growing up, uh, but we sure had enough. And, um, one of the side hustles that my dad had to make money is he would uh, take his 1985 Volkswagen van again, drive around all the production studios. Uh, we live in Toluca Lake, so it's right down the street from all of the major um, recording studios and production studios. So he would pick up recycling and, uh, you know, all their random recycling things and then, you know, take them to, uh, gosh, I've never told this story. That's so funny. Um, and, and take them to get recycling. And that's, you know, some weeks that's how we got, uh, some, how we got money. So one time when he always came back with interesting things, scripts that had never, you know, that were thrown away that needed to be recycled, um, production equipment, production studio lighting that was just being discarded. And one of the things at home was a, um, uh, it was a, a cassette recorder that also, like it was a cassette player with a recorder and a little speaker. And I was obsessed with that thing. Uh, so only child. And then my dad, yeah, my dad was a communications major. Um, my mom did budgets for the city of Los Angeles. And so she was very analytical, uh, systems oriented, process oriented. And then my dad was very creative, uh, definitely the writer. So I, I had a really strong um, background in reading and writing. I was a very early reader. But that recorder, I would pretend and my little friend Nicole would come over and when she would come over and visit, we would pretend that we had a radio show <laughs> and we were interviewing each other and doing silly voices. I would always write little silly stories about uh, animals and you know things that were going on. So I always had this writing background. Um, fast forward to uh, you know, could I, high could, school. I, could I jump in for one second? Do you still have yeah. that recorder? 
I think so. I have no idea though. It's probably in the mess of things in the garage. Um, but I, I would just record over and over and over and then mm. play it back and then record over that tape and play it back. And it was, I had so much fun. Um, mm. It was like this, this long rectangular thing, just ancient, ancient technology, but <laughs> I, honestly, I don't think I've ever seen one in person. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you brat. <laughs> I have no. I have. I have the. I have like. I have like little cassette players, but I've never seen one of the the recording ones. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, I loved it. I really did. And then um, in high school and college, I would. Uh, you know, one of my little side hustles was uh, helping people write their essays and and edit their essays. Um, you went to you went to University of Pennsylvania. You studied. Yeah. Uh, journalism. journalism. I wanted to be a travel writer and uh, basically I wanted to be Anthony Bourdain <laughs> and travel. Um, and at the time when Gourmet Magazine was uh, was in publication, Ruth Reichel was the editor-in-chief and I, I just, I wanted to be her. I wanted her job. And she wrote these beautiful memoirs uh, that told her life in the story, uh, in, in terms of stories about food. And I just loved, I loved that. I love the ability of writing to take you from one place to another. I can be sitting in Los Angeles and read something, a bit of travel writing, and all of a sudden I feel like I'm there and I'm having my own experience, um, either eating the food or smelling the air or whatever. And uh, it was a beautiful escape, um, especially as an only child. You've got to kind of invent your own <laughs> your own escapes. Um, and so I always was interested in writing and communication. And then um, when I graduated, I started... Um, getting into blogging. This is like, you know, the mid 2000s, 2006, seven, eight, um, when personal blogging was really starting to take off. And I found a few side hustles in going to, um, websites that I liked and offering to flesh out their content strategy or help, uh, help them with what we now call content marketing is basically just writing articles that would help, um, Google index, uh, their website because of the keywords and, you know, relevance and all that. So because I was writing high quality content that also, um, had the right keywords, that's how I would kind of put together packages. And it's like, okay, I'd write 25 articles for you and 30 articles for you. I stumbled on a site called trendhunter.com, which is still around, and they do trend forecasting in every industry for big brands, um, helping them understand um, how to maybe evolve their marketing or their product design or, or their organizational structure based on consumer trends and preferences. And that's where I really got a masterclass because I was incentivized. Um, at that time, Google AdWords was quite a lucrative way to. Um, to build a side hustle, like on ad revenue, I would make between $800 and $1,200 a month just from the articles I'd already published. And the more articles I published, the more I was able to make. Well, that's all I needed to know because I was also getting paid by the article. So I started going on this tear and over, um, over the better part of a couple of years, maybe let's call it, well, certainly over five years, I wrote 15,000 articles, but I'm trying to compress the trend hunter time. Maybe it was like three or four years. I'd written 
about 5,000 articles, edited 230,000. So it was like I, I was working these crazy 11, 12-hour startup days, um, and it was all just based on writing and editing. So I got very good at understanding the underlying structures of putting an article together, what's the essential communication, um, the essential, like if you only had five sentences to get an idea across, what would you put in those five sentences? Um, and then uh, quickly editing and, and understanding the top mistakes uh, that other writers make and identifying the mistakes that I make in my own writing where I might make typos and stuff. Wow. So let's, let's back up for one second. So you graduated in 2007, 2008. Was that during the financial crisis, just after or right before? It was before and during. So um, basically the advertising market, the bottom fell out of that. So the, um, the 800 to 1200 a month I was earning from ad revenue disappeared between, I want to say 2008 and 2009 when it comes to like the actual ad revenue. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, from there, it was like, okay, well, I know that writers are still putting together content uh, and they still need to put out content on their websites. And by that point, I had enough of a portfolio where I could say, okay, technology site, um, I've got 1200 articles in technology. Uh, here, fashion blog, I have 400 articles about, you know, runway fashion. Mm -hmm. um, here, health and wellness blog, I've got 400 articles about that. So, you know, I, it was just a, it was very easy for me to step into and assimilate different industries, um, tones of voice for different industries, mm -hmm. different content. Um, and then when it came time to 2012, um, my husband, Mike, was deployed to Afghanistan with the army. And here I was, um, and I was like, well, I've got a few clients. Let me see if I can pick up another one. Let's, you know, let's really stack cash this year. And uh, I see the ad that would ultimately be for Peter. Um, and it said, Busy Entrepreneur Seeks Online Community Manager. Um, and it was a really aggressive uh, job ad. But I basically, through those experiences, I had done everything uh, on it before, or at least could talk my way through it convincingly. And um, that started that phase of my career. Um, but what I really got excited about in working with Peter was almost immediately he plugged me into Genius Network. And the... Um, amazing, brilliant marketing minds who are in that group. Um, and that's when I got to see, okay, well, I've written for volume before. I've written for entertainment um, and quality and all of that. I've written as um, kind of a novelist or whatever, almost, um, and a journalist. But like, I can write to sell. I can write to make money. Uh, I can write to persuade, but thickly and, and get you know, use my words and my talent in a way that gets people excited about either doing business with me or supporting an initiative that I'm supporting. And I, I really saw it as a path to wealth, not just, you know, getting by and, uh, and, and kind of scraping by. So that exposure uh, and mentorship to some of the best copywriters on the planet um, who were making millions of dollars just by writing sales letters and copy for websites and things, that was really exciting because then I, I saw, okay, there's, there's a real business of writing that I have not even scratched the surface of yet. And so kind of combining the old with the new and then my own um, observations about how we read as we have um, moved you know, digitally, uh, it's all about scanning. It's all about short 
impactful sentences. So I started writing about my opinions on those things. That's where Ridiculously Efficient came through. And I started writing about productivity and how to um, communicate with people around the world in ways that they uh, can very quickly understand what I'm up to, why it's important for them, how to get involved, and how to do so as quickly as possible. And I I would make a game when I was... um, running interference and kind of being Peter's gatekeeper and doing outreach for some of his book launches and initiatives, I would make it a game. Like how, if I craft an email a certain way, I bet you I can get someone to respond in and I would make it up. Is it going to be seven minutes? Is it going to be three minutes? And I would play around with subject lines, the length of the email. uh, Do I put the, the actual request at the bottom or at the top? Do I make it bold? what font size do I use? And I just started nerding out and like really getting into um, the mechanics of writing. And it's, um, it's changed the course of my life. What were the, what, what were the say three moments? Do you, if you could, if you could divulge the stories to so say, was there a book that you picked up where you're like, wow, that's an amazingly written book and that, that book is seared in your memory? Or is there an article that you wrote where you're like, wow, that was an amazing article and I had so much fun writing that? Are there two or three of those kind of seared in memory moments that you could share? Yes. And they won't be the ones that are directly related to that. So I remember totally okay. <laughs> in the Trend Hunter days, um, we discovered uh, what on the site were called clusters and basically assortments like a compilation of previously written articles under a new theme. So it's like, you know, 12 examples of um, uh, cat print, you know, fashion or, you know, I'm making silly things up, but the one that I'm, I remember was like pop culture moments. And this, this is how, you know, it's 2009, um, like 12 of Lindsay Lohan's like <laughs> classic pop culture moments. And this, this article got like millions of views. And I was like, Oh, this is it. Like of all the things I've written of all the things I've put my heart and soul into, like, this is the thing that gets 10 million views is this article, this cluster on Lindsay Lohan and you know, her pop, her pop culture moments. But that was, that was just like, okay, that that's not, that's not what this is about. That's not what I'm excited about. Um, and then the other was, um, so a lot of us read the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss or some of his subsequent books, The 4-Hour Body, and so on, uh, Tools of Titans. And Did you read it when uh, it came out in, when was it, 2009 or so? Yeah, and it inspired me to leave my job at, at Trend Hunter. And, I, you know, I'm still looking for that muse business, but uh, <laughs> it certainly inspired me to um, think differently about time and specifically the concept of many retirements. That was a big one for me. It's like, I don't have to wait till I'm older to live a beautiful life. I can do it now. So um, the some of the happiest um, moments I've had in email life, which sounds so silly, but like, you know, you send an email to Tim Ferriss and Tim Ferriss writes back and he knows exactly who I am. Like there, there's like that moment where I, I just totally geeked out and I was like, yes, 
because uh, there's like multiple layers of gatekeepers to go through. And so to get a response in, anytime I get a response from some of these big fish in under 10 minutes, guaranteed I'm doing a happy dance. And so, you know, there's been a handful of times. Um, Tim Ferriss is one. Ariana Huffington is another. Um, where I just, I see the name pop up and I have to screenshot it just for myself. And I have a folder of the, of those screenshots, just so I never forget how excited, um, I once got, you know, to, to get an email from some of these people. And this is why you're writing email copy and you're, and you're making things happen, moving the ball forward for, for someone like Peter or, or in that ecosystem, correct? Yeah. And it could be things like, you know, can you commit to support this launch? Mm. Can you, um, can we schedule uh, a call to, you know, basically to, to partner up on this new initiative um, where we're asking them to do something Mm -hmm. that requires effort and annoyance and uh, Mm -hmm. some kind of relationship capital. Um, And it's very easy for them to say no because they're inundated with these kinds of requests all day. Um, Mm -hmm. And one, one that happened very recently uh, that wasn't an email and it wasn't an article, but it was a byproduct of how I operated um, over those seven years was uh, I recently interviewed Jim Quick and uh, for the, the initiative that I'm launching around the future of education. And we did our prep call just to brief him on the subject and what, what our intent was and basically make the, ca- the, make the case and make the pitch. And he said, you know, we get requests like this all day, every day. And he looks at me, you know, we're on video and on zoom and and he points and he's like, I took this call because it was with you. And if this was not with you, I would have said no. He goes, but I, I so respect our relationship over the years, your character, who you are. And, you know, when I saw your name was attached to this, I wanted to know why. And like, that means something to me because when we are in a, a capacity, um, it's so easy to get transactional in email, in relationships. And um, a big trap that I fell into working with Peter was, well, maybe these high-level relationships are only because of my context to Peter and only because of my affiliation and proximity to. Um, but one thing I realized through this project is that's not true. It's the relationships that I built up all along the way. And every single interaction you have with someone matters, even if it's for five seconds and you think it's just in passing and that they're not noticing you, you can be memorable in those moments. And those memorable moments can persist years later. It's why I still remember that video you t- you sent and texted. Like these things get ingrained in our memories. We're wired to remember relationships like that. Beautiful transition into the other thing I wanted to I wanted to dive into on the relationship front. Uh, so, Marissa, you are a relationship expert extraordinaire. I'm going to ask a fairly basic question, but could you define what a relationship is to you when you think, hey, relationship, I have a relationship with this person. Could you just give us a definition? I think the definitions and just getting everyone on the same linguistic landscape is really important. It's actually something I learned from you is uh, sometimes definitions cause you to talk past each other and people hear relationships and they're like, oh, another one of these conversations. But I'd love to hear your definition. Yeah. I mean, for me... um something that I often reinforce with people that um, really resonate with me. Like, you know, it's like there, there's layers, there's acquaintances and, you know, sort of these, these people that you keep on the outside. Um, but every now and then you meet people who 
you really resonate with their message, who they are, who they represent. You know, a lot of times, especially in this world, this business world, there's the there's the person you see on stage, and then the real human um, sort of behind the the, the stage. And and when when you meet somebody that you really align with and you respect them, their values, um, who they are, who they represent, and and just like that, you see that whole person, uh, that to me is uh, a signal of someone that I want to align myself with, who I want to be memorable to, whose respect and I want to earn. And uh, I really want to maintain proximity and I want to always be useful to that person. I want them to think of me as someone who is uh, intelligent and credible and who is um, useful, I guess, and valuable in some way. And so when I think about relationships, it is the collection of humans uh, with whom I've interacted over the years and I've gotten to know on that level. And it's someone who... um, whether we're working together or not, whether we're partnered uh, on a money-making initiative or not, these are humans who I want to see uh, grow and thrive, and I want to be there to support their journey, even if it's just by reaching out and saying, hey, I'm here, uh, which I'm doing a lot of in this coronavirus uh, situation. It's a lot of uh, individual reach-outs and just connecting. So when I think about man relationships, Yes, it's there's some of it that is staying on, um, staying on their radar and staying. Uh, a lot of people, you know, we're interrupt driven and we're so busy all the time that if you're not interacting with someone on a day to day basis, it's easy to forget about them. So I want to be memorable, but I also want to be useful. I don't want to be, uh, you know, I want to always be remembered as the person who has valuable information and insights on blank. Um, and so it's the management aspect is understanding that personal brand, which I I do see that as an extension of your personal brand and um, continually giving people reasons to find you useful, interesting, and um, of value with respect to your brand. Are there any specific tips or tactics or tools that you like to deploy and use to actually manage those relationships? Maybe it's an email that you like to send just pinging them, letting them know, maybe what are you doing now during quarantine to, to say, Hey, I'm here. Yeah. Well, you know, I wish I had a really elegant automated tool to recommend because that, that would be really uh, on brand. However, you know, the old fashioned way of like a lot of times um, I will find an article and I'll say, Hey, you know, I thought of you and blankety blank initiative when I saw this or, Hey, have you, are you guys using this tool in blankety blank? Um, or I'll ask for an update um, or, you know, just finding like just in time ways to be useful and interesting. Um, another, so related to this, um, people love conversational capital. They love to have, and what that means specifically is, um, something interesting to share. You know, you, you always want to be like, uh, in the tech world, it might be the person who knows all the interesting hacks or the latest company gossip or, you know, the latest tool to use. And so a great way to build your brand, so to speak, in that area is to pass around like, hey, are you guys using this tool? Um, lately, um, there's a tool that minimizes background noise uh, for Zoom audio. <laughs> so I've been passing that around. Oh, what is uh, that one? 
so now I blank out on it, but it's like Chris, Chris, Burn, Chris da, 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 da. I'll send it to you. Amazing. Okay, so we'll put it in the show notes too. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Which I would have had if you were this call. Oh, it's crisp.ai. K-R-I-S-P.ai. Perfect. So, so I guess, again, merging the writing and your linguistic capabilities and your beautiful copywriting with your beautiful relationship maintenance, if you were to, when you, when you do reach out for an update to somebody, what is the, the language that you're using? What is the, the, hey, update, question mark, as, as uh, most 20-year-old tech bros are doing? Or is it, hey, how are you? What's the, what's the, what's the gist? So honestly, people communicate with people. Uh-huh. And so the most, like my favorite compliment about my writing is like, oh, you write just like you talk. Or, you know, mm-hmm. it sounds like yes. you write just like you talk. So starting from that point um, is an advantage. So knowing your audience and who you're communicating with, you know, is important. Some of the early things that I always have to kind of train out of interns when they're communicating with boomers is like, that audience is not necessarily always going to appreciate emojis in the same way that I do. I, they're a language for me too. I use them, you know, my Slack emoji reactions are like entire conversations sometimes. However, uh, depending on the context of who you're communicating with, like that may not be as appropriate for that environment. They may, they may want a bit more formal and then, then I'll be, you know, I'll be formal, but these executives, they're also, you know, they're reading on their phones, they're scrolling. And so I imagine, you know, just open up an email on your phone. Like, how do you feel when you have these big, long sentences with enormous words? It's just too much. It's overwhelming. You're like, just tell me what I need to do. And honestly, most of the time you just need to get them on the phone for five minutes to make your pitch, to ask your question. And so most of these communications can actually be like, hey, when do you have 10 minutes for a quick phone call in the next two days? Like, or do you have some time this morning, you know, to jump on a five minute call? I want to, you know, ask you about da-da-da, where da-da-da is like this um, really, you're provoking intrigue and interest, uh, but you're also giving them valuable like, you don't want to say like, oh, I have an opportunity you can't miss because you can only really use that once. And then the second that you deliver that message and it's actually not interesting to the recipient, they're never going to listen to you again. But if you have like three or four words that describe specifically what you want to talk to them about, why it's interesting to them, especially, um, and then you can deliver that whole message in, you know, two to four sentences. And it is such an easy um, request. You know, everybody's got two minutes, 10 minutes. You can get anybody on the phone if it's two minutes of their time. And it's something that's really uniquely interesting. And they'll probably give you 10 minutes. So, you know, that's that's one thing. And then uh, writing how you speak. So if you're communicating with peers, and it is very like, natural to go, Hey, update question mark. Like, let me know when you can buy, you know, send like, just send it off. Like, don't, don't think twice about it. But also that said, take a look at what works and really use it as an opportunity to, um, be data driven within your own contextual networks. 
when, you know, take notice when what works, what people are responding to right away. Lately, I've been doing a lot of like little short videos and sending those out in coronavirus times because it's like, hey, FaceTime, we see each other. Um, and I've got like this big pregnancy belly to share. <laughs> so that's always a fun thing. Uh, so thinking about ways to differentiate your um, but in a way that's relevant to the recipient or humans writing for humans and um, competing interests. Like the thing that is interesting to me may not be interesting to my recipient. So understanding that it's about um, building that bridge in as, you know, it's like as long as it takes, but like as short as possible. And these are all conflicting, you know, uh, pieces pieces of advice. But that's why it's an art; is it's never really the same thing. And I think, um, although my my way is to systematize, I do think that you know, sending out form emails, it's just not it's not how you you reach people at a certain level in business anymore. They don't. It's like if you don't have the time to write me an email, I don't want to, you know, a real message. Like I don't want to. I don't want to bother if you're just cutting and pasting. What are some of the the activities, some of the things that you like to actually spend your time doing when you're, you know, forging your relationships or you're going deeper with somebody? I know that you love to take hikes. We've gone on, as you mentioned, a lot of hikes together. What are some of the other things that you love to do? Well, pre-pregnancy, I would love to have a glass of wine with people, um, see if I could get them in the backyard, share a meal, share... Um, you know, share a few beverages. I find that um, any environment where we can um, eat, you know, share a meal, uh, get get a little liquored up. That's always um, <laughs> a winning recipe for um, for some really authentic. You know, just, you just basically you want to break down the barriers and the walls that we have. So that's that's one way is like social lubrication. Um, another way is certainly through exercise and um, especially in sharing beautiful hikes, like as we've done, you know, it's, it's these special places. It's not even activity of the hike. It's sharing your hike, your go-to trail, uh, you know, bringing, bringing the dogs for a play date. Like it's those little elements of humanity, um, that really break down professional boundaries and, um, really reinforce like who you are as a person, the values that you have. And once, once you can kind of build those bridges um, on a values perspective, it's easy to talk business. It's easy to talk strategy. Uh, it, that stuff is almost like on the back burner these days because a lot of the leaders that I'm working with now are so intent on restricting the time and energy they, man they, they spend um, on things energy or don't resonate. They, they're, they're be selective about who they spend time with, what they work on. So it's important that everything is congruent and aligned with their values. And so I've leaned into that myself because um, when we are more selective about how we spend our time, that is, um, you know, it's a direct, uh, how we feel and the state that we live in and what we're able to achieve in our mindset, it all comes as a direct byproduct of that. So lately, uh, certainly getting outside, um, sharing a, a fantastic meal. I love to cook. I love, uh, eating, especially now. Um, and, uh, and learning. I love learning about people and what, what excites them. You know, you just ask open-ended questions and people love to talk about themselves. Um, but if you show genuine interest in them and what they're, uh, 
what they're passionate about, which for me is very easy because there's such a small group of people that I would um, want to do this with, um, that it, it's just, it's magical. Exploring, any kind of adventuring, like uh, Los Angeles, you know, there's so many things to do here, um, different activities and stuff. And so getting to do that in, in a social environment, like, hey, have you been to the Peterson Auto Museum lately? They've got this exhibit on da-da-da-da-da. And just doing that with somebody, that's an interesting and memorable way to create an experience, but also facilitate um, new discoveries about details um, on what they're passionate about. Like the second you know that someone loves sailing or they love classic Jaguars or they are obsessed with old world wines, now you have a unique way to reach them and make um, connections deepen that that bond um, and that shared interest in a way that's so much more interesting than, you know, read any good books lately or, you know, I'm a fan of your work. Like nobody really wants to talk about that stuff. You know, they want to talk about the, uh, the one-on-one, you know, more personalized passions. Very, very cool. So I wanted to, to touch on the ridiculously efficient part of your life and some of your favorite ridiculously efficient quote unquote hacks. And I'm thinking that we do a little rapid fire session on being ridiculously efficient. And then we dive into the education piece that you are so hyper-focused on right now, uh, just because I see that we're coming up on our window. So what is ridiculously efficient as a company? And then what is ridiculously efficient as a, as a term? If we could go back to that definition, definition tool. So for me, ridiculously efficient is understanding how you uniquely operate and uh, optimizing every activity, endeavor, and uh, basically like optimizing your energy and your output so that you are as effective as you can be at producing the result you'd like. So a silly way is, you know, living your best life and doing your best work like in as little time as possible and with the most elegance and ease. I think about two words a lot, um, simplicity and elegance. Those are two words that really resonate to me when it comes to ridiculously efficient because it's not just about doing it fast and half-assed. It's about doing it well, executing it at a level that is above expectations, ahead of the deadline, you know, and and to the point where you can build a reputation or where I can build a reputation as I have of delivering excellent work every single time. It's like people know that if I've got my thumbprint on something, that means something. There has been some intent and some heart put into it. Uh, So to me, ridiculously efficient is like living your potential every day and just constantly growing. Um, but doing it, removing as much friction as possible and uh, spending as little time, energy, and effort as possible on things that don't matter. And then as a, as a company, so you have this great platform that I, I love being a member of and I've enjoyed watching your journey growing this community. Could you tell us a little bit about Ridiculously Efficient as a company, as a community, and, and the business side of things? Yeah, so Ridiculously Efficient is basically the holding company for my consulting activities, uh, which are always exciting. Uh, I've got an online community where we talk about all the mechanics of what it takes, like the everyday decision-making 
but more importantly, the mindset of what it takes to uh, constantly grow. Lately, I've been talking a lot about reinvention, but also um, financial efficiency, you know, when it comes to auditing your finances, uh, doubling your rates, things like that. Um, Really easy, not easy, but simple ways to create leverage uh, in different areas of your life. I also do branding and advisory work where I'm working with entrepreneurs to sharpen their message and um, build really high performance teams aligned around a category of one personal brand, which is so defined, so unique that only you can occupy that space. And you've got a witty tagline uh, that lets people immediately retell your story and understand what you're all about. Very cool. And so now with Ridiculously Efficient, I I believe you are on this education journey uh, where you are putting on a virtual summit around the future of education. First, could you tell us how that concept evolved? So how do you go from the high-tech world that you're in? You mentioned this a little bit about at the beginning, uh, uh, on a strategic level of wanting to converge the mindfulness and nature with the, how do we convey this, this, these lessons of A360 and the, the tech forward thinking to our kids on a, on a more tactical level, how did this education conference actually evolve? How, who were the players? What was the, the timeline? Yeah. So this is a new one. Um, actually, sorry. So what's it called? What's the con- the name of the conference? I forgot that we, oh. we didn't mention that. And where can people find it if they want to maybe access the, the replay um, yeah. after it's yeah. filmed? I'll tackle all those things. So, uh, so this is, um, so when I was on my little hiatus and I got pregnant, um, I called a bunch of mentors and entrepreneurs that I knew through A360, through the Peterverse. And one of them um, is Gordy Ball, who was an A360 member or has been in the past and started a new paradigm school in Victoria, British Columbia called the Exploration Center. And it is a primary school focused on the intersection of love, nature, uh, consciousness and mindfulness and technology. So I gave him a call and we hadn't talked for, I don't know, eight months, maybe a year. And I was like, hey, Gordy, um, just wanted to check in with you and see uh, what's up with the Exploration Center and, you know, when you're moving out of Canada and expanding globally. And I have five years to solve my own problem, which is um, how to understand how to prepare I for a future of constant change. So this um, aware of technology and how to use it. And, uh, but he is also in touch with nature and himself and understanding like, you know, who he is and the kind of impact he wants to. Make. So it's like, how do I raise a well-rounded future leader and what infrastructure can I put around me right now from an educational perspective to, uh, to create that. So we just started having these conversations and it efficient, independent of anything that I was doing. Uh, Just a human in the world, curious about a problem that's very important for me to solve. And um, throughout my pregnancy, I've interviewed amazing people, uh, childhood development experts, really visionary educators, futurists, technologists. Uh, I started with Ray Kurzweil. So we, uh, we had a one-on-one interview um, about um, the law of accelerated returns as it pertains to my child. 
Fogg in the Stanford Behavior Design Lab, the Biomimicry Institute, um, from Astronova, which is where uh, Elon Musk's kids have all gone to school. It's on the SpaceX campus. Um, but also like Kathy Colby. Uh, I talk about the Colby Index all the time, um, but I have to interview her. I'm like, help my... my how can I design his learning environment to optimize around that? So I blinked my eyes and we had 30 amazing interviews. And so we put that into retreat. Um, so the, uh, the year round community is called Explorates and Collective. is bringing their always um, around childhood education from educators to technologists, futurists, and uh, childhood development experts, like everyone who cares about the future of children um, and of leadership. And it's curling uh, their work, but also sharing insights and things that parents can do right now. So in a way, this is my, my own, you know, how to become a parent in an exponential world. That's, that's really beautiful, Marissa. I, um, one of the things that I, I love about it is how you are taking your own problem and you are putting it to practice, scratch your own itch and just getting after it to solve your own problem, create a business and create so much value for other people. Really, really cool. What are some of the, the bigger takeaways? So you have this thesis that nature, mindfulness, spirituality, technology, how to be a leader, ridiculously efficient are all converging. What are some of the, the pillars of that thesis? So what are you learning about? What does that look like for the future? How is education going to be delivered in the future? Maybe you could just dive into the top three pillars. Yeah, so some of the early discoveries, um, one, uh, from a technology and an education standpoint, it's becoming much more personalized. Um, so in some ways, this has already happened. Uh, I interviewed Philip Moore from Upland Hills um, School, who for the last 40 plus years has pioneering love-based education where they are nurturing every child into being. Uh, this intersects with the inquiry-based approach that um, Dan Lackis and his team at Astronova are taking, where the students' interests are leading. Um, that's, that's what determines the curriculum and what they focus on. Everything is project-based and collaborative and really designed around how we communicate and work together in groups. There are no grades. There are no um, standardized assessments or standardized anything because each of us is different and coming from a different place. So that's like the personalization aspect, uh, which intersects with technology and what we're seeing with artificial intelligence and its ability to um, bring together, simulate different information very, very quickly. So that's like one intersection. The second intersection nature um, is about understanding being present um, and gaining inspiration everywhere we look. So we're seeing uh, drones and things that are um, inspired by bees and, and hummingbirds and, and things like that. But um, it's also transportation networks that are inspired by trees and being able to look around this beautiful world and seeing inspiration everywhere. Um, and then another element is about um, your actual, like, how you operate, uh, how you think and operate and communicate with others. And there's a tremendous amount of humility that that requires and a growth mindset, uh, all the things that we've been talking about today. 
So I just want to throw this note out there for anyone who's going to be listening to this. A few episodes ago, I interviewed my friend Vlad, who is an expert in something called generative design, which is using artificial intelligence to achieve a function. So uh, it, it, it's basically, how do you take AI and say, hey, I want this function to, I want this part to do this function. Um, we, when we talked a lot about biomimicry and taking ideas from nature and incorporating that into designs, and that is the bleeding edge. And so Marissa, I, I love how you're at the bleeding edge of technology and, and actually intentionally incorporating nature into the conversation. Um, so I love that. So thank you so much for, for diving into to your education, uh, your education conference and to your, your writing superpower, your, to your relationship management superpowers. Um, we have to have you back on because I have so much more I want to ask you about and talk to you about. Um, I know that you need to jump off right now. In the meantime, where can people find you? So Ridiculously Efficient, uh, the, the XC conference, where else can they find you and what are some of the URLs or social tags? Yeah. So ridiculouslyefficient.com or efficient.af if you're into that. Um, and then uh, xc.digital is the um, Exploration Center Collective. Um, and then hit me up on LinkedIn as well and um, all that good stuff. Very cool. Marissa, thank you so much for coming on and I can't wait to have you back. Thank you, Max. It was such a pleasure. Talk to you soon. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Next Frontier Podcast. If you like this content, please head over to nextfrontier.org forward slash subscribe. It's nextfrontier.org forward slash subscribe. We have out of this world content coming your way over the next few months. Hope that you enjoy and stay tuned.